0: Hello, my name's Lewis Spears. I'm the initiator of Retold. This is a great podcast area and subject matter where we're going to let real people tell real stories about the real experiences that they've had. I hope you'll continue to tune in and look for future episodes as individuals talk about their books, they talk about ridiculous experiences they've had in person, they talk about being professional athletes or TV personalities, or just ordinary people that have had extraordinary things happen. We're looking forward to talking to each of them and letting you hear their stories. But today, I wanted to have this initial podcast and share with you one of the unique stories that God has allowed me to have as a civilian of the United States. Some time back, I had the opportunity to go to a Peter Lowe conference here in Phoenix. During that time, I got a chance to listen to Margaret Thatcher in person at the conference. I got a chance to listen to Colin Powell. As Colin Powell, the general of the military, was telling his experiences with our soldiers, especially as he was telling the stories about our push toward Baghdad and what the political view of that would be around the world and in our own country, he began to talk about how his whole career as a military person kind of came to a screeching halt and had to pivot and make a shift. One of those happened when he was with President Reagan. They were having a meeting with the Premier of Russia, Mikhail Gorbachev. And as they were meeting in a conference room, Gorbachev looked across the table at Colin Powell and said, You no longer have an enemy in me. Most of my life had been framed around a Cold War, and most of Colin Powell's military life had been framed around the idea of competing with Russia in this Cold War, keeping our military prowess, keeping our technology, keeping our strategies ahead of them, trying to bankrupt them in other areas of their country so they would overspend and they would finally just give in. Now, Gorbachev is saying, you no longer have an enemy in me. This opened the door for many people to begin to have experiences and businesses with Russia. One of those people happened to be my brother-in-law, Paul Tatum. It was an interesting time. Paul visited Russia with one of the governors of Oklahoma and realized that this was an entrepreneur's heaven, that they didn't really understand that much about freedom, free finances, processes of of being capitalist and making gains legally, and it was a brand new world in Russia. And so Paul put together a partnership, he built a building there, Radisson Slavianskaya, and he had a 24-hour business center called AmeriCom on one of the stories there of the hotel. And it was a, it was just a booming business. So our family made a plan one time to make a venture there. We got our family together. We got our visas. We did all of the documentation that was necessary to arrive. And uh, I had been in Eastern Europe once before in in Romania. And so early on in the trip... Paul asked me to accompany him and the family as we go to the Goom Shopping Center because we need to take our currency, our American dollars, and we need to convert them into rubles so that this trip will be more affordable for the number of people that we had with us. So we go to the Goom Shopping Center, which is just off of Red Square. So you have Red Square at one end of Red Square. You have St. Basil's Cathedral with those multicolored beautiful onion tops. At the other end, there's a convent. On the one side of Red Square, there's the Kremlin with the wall and Lennon's Tomb embedded in the wall. And directly across from Lennon's Tomb is the Goom Shopping Center. It's a multi-storied shopping center. And it's considered one of the largest in the world. And so we go in as a family, and Paul dismisses everybody else in the family to kind of roam around and reconvene at a specific time to specific point. While he and I stand in front of this small window that has a little digital red ticker tape going across the top of it, indicating the exchange rate of currencies. So while we're standing there, we realize that something else is going to have to happen because at this moment, they're only allowing about $120 or so to be exchanged into rubles. So as we're standing there, up approaches one young Russian guy with blonde hair, kind of sallow looking. He has a few street language words with Paul, which I don't understand. I know very little Russian. And then he leaves. We continue to stand there, and it appears that we're being patient, waiting for something else to happen. And up approaches another Russian. This man is a little darker skin, a little darker hair. They have a conversation, and he leaves. Then a third man approaches Paul, and they have a little discussion. They come to kind of an agreement, and the man walks off, and then another man comes back. And this man gives us some instructions. This Russian tells us to step back out of the center part of the aisleway in the goom, back up against a wall, underneath these cascading metal staircases that are going up on either side. So here we are, new to Russia for me, back against the wall in a shopping mall, standing with uh, a dark-haired, dark-skinned Russian, and in comes promptly what we would call the Big Boss. The Big Boss was accompanied by a couple of other guys. They met us under the stairwell, and we had kind of a lengthy conversation, and you could tell there was an agreement about what was about to happen. So after... Uh, They agreed. Uh, Two men step out in front, and kind of like the geese formation flying from the southern United States back to Canada, they make a kind of a V formation, and there's one lead guy, two other guys, the big boss and Paul, and then myself and others behind us, about seven of us or so, as we make our way out the goom toward St. Basil's Cathedral. When we exit the doorway... We turn left, we go down to the end of the building on the street, and we turn left again up an alleyway. It's getting a little suspicious at this point. Halfway down the alley is a little European car, maybe a Travant, and it has all four doors open, and there's a gentleman standing there, and he is making everybody that's passing by, either on foot or on bicycle or whatever, make a wide circle away from the car, making room for us. As we approach the car, they have me get in on the driver's side in the front. The guy that's been accompanying me, he gets in the passenger side, and my brother-in-law, Paul, and the big boss get in the back seat, while a couple others remain on the sidewalk watching what happens. We roll the windows down slightly, about five or six inches, maybe a little more, And in just a matter of seconds, there begins to be this cascading of individuals just walking by. One was a little lady pushing a cart. She has a plastic bag with something in it. She shoves it in the window next to me. Along comes a guy on a bicycle. He has a little bag. He pushes it in the window next to Paul. Along comes another person and walking and has a briefcase, opens it up, pushes the bag inside with us. And so what we realized we're dealing with here is the timing that had taken place from the beginning of the conversation in the mall till now was the Chechnyan mafia mafia on the black market collecting the rubles that it would take in order for us to exchange about $10,000 of hard currency in American money. We sat there for the next 45 minutes or so, counting out a million and a half rubles. I'm a little uncomfortable because the guy next to me, I have no idea what he has in his backpack or in his pocket. If this is going to be a crisis of time, that once we hand over the currency, they're going to grab both currencies and do something with us or what. Paul seems rather comfortable and rather confident as he speaks his street Russian. And we continue. And then at a moment, we will agree that the the amount of money is what was determined ahead of time. We exit the car, and we're on our way, and we reunite with our families. You see, Russia became this unique thing to me in that I had in my mind this idea that there were going to be lots of um, frumpy old ladies in worn-out clothes, that there were going to be ragged vehicles, that it was going to be bitterly cold. We were there probably in late August, early September, and the weather was beautiful. It was like in the 80s. Moscow was a thriving, bumping city with lots of activity. There were many fashionable things happening around the city. In fact, when we pulled into the Red Square near St. Basil's Cathedral, there was a model shoot going on there for fashion clothes. So the world was beginning to become a new world for Russia, And the Cold War was beginning to exit. But as in any country, when there is this sudden stop or exchange, then all of a sudden people are trying to take advantage of it. Thus, the mafia, thus organized crime, thus wealthier people become wealthy and poor become poor. I imagined Russian men as being outwardly dominating, the truth is that a lot of them were alcoholics, a lot of them were smokers, and a lot of them had much depression in their eyes and in their demeanor. And there was just a lot of angst toward really everyone. So, my experience is that I have some great stories to tell you about Russia, about what happened with my brother in law in his business venture, what happened in other parts of the country that are so unique and why this is such a beautiful place with beautiful people who have been suppressed for such a long period of time. I always viewed Russia as an enemy. And in a case today, they might actually still be a pretty strong enemy toward us. But I want you to know, there's something really unique about Russia. Inside Moscow, the metro, the subway, moves about 8.5 million people a day and the people are hurrying back and forth with little regard for each other. There isn't a lot of camaraderie or interaction, and there are very few children. You might have a high rise of buildings, 9, 10, 11 stories tall of apartments, and there might be a playground at the bottom of it that's about the size of a townhouse backyard. It's just not very big at all. And it's indicating that most people are not in the city to raise families. But you go outside of the city to some of the villages, and they adore children, and they love where they live, and they, they plant small gardens, and they try to harvest their own crops. They live with, with joy and admiration of family and closeness and proximity, and I found that I related a lot better to the people that were outside the city rather than those who were living in Moscow. I have many more stories to tell you about my experiences in Russia and some of the unique places that I saw how it went from being such an affluent, strong, dominant nation to being on the cusp of being run by anybody, and how it recovered, and how even today it is dominated by people who are kind of ill-willed toward the United States. The Cold War has kind of resuscitated itself today in the form of cyber attacks coming from within Russia. So we have a new kind of thing to look at But I want you to understand, I think in God's economy, people are people. People without God act that way. These people that I met had not heard or understood or had a dominant part of God in their culture for 70 years. Now, as it was open, not only was economy, not only was crime coming, but along was coming an open word about God and who he is and what he might do in their lives. Stay tuned to the next episodes of Retold, and listen to the amazing stories of people that God has crossed paths with us today. I, I look forward to talking to you more about it. Bye.